The Lord be with you and also with you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hear from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, how our Lord Jesus entered Jerusalem, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Beloved near and far, we gather in ordered worship where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west, the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility and love of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country and beyond. We greet you from an empty marsh chapel, an empty nave. We are together though in virtual worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered in virtual worship for our national public radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership around the globe now and later at WBUR.org. This April 5th, Palm Sunday, 2020, we invite you together into ordered worship. Where and as you are, as you are able, please stand in the praise of God for the singing of our hymn.
Almighty God, on this day your Son, Jesus Christ, entered the holy city of Jerusalem and was proclaimed king by those who spread their garments and palm branches along the way. Let those branches be for us signs of his victory and grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our Lord and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, as the Kyrie reminds us, and as we shall sing together, Lord have mercy, we bow in compunction, in confession, in lament, looking for and receiving with gladness the pardon, grace, and love of God. As the music guides us, let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy.
for the grace of God we would not be, and but for the grace of God we could not love, and but for the grace of God we should not speak, but by God's grace we live and love and speak. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
please join me in saying sentences from Psalm 118 with the antiphon. Blessed is the Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of the sermon hymn. Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 27, verses 32 to 50. Glory to you, O Lord. 
As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice, and breathed his last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
few years ago, just before Holy Week, a particular story came around to haunt the season, the story of Joan Humphrey. She grew up on a farm in Kansas. She was born the third of four children to Donna and Jake Humphrey. The Humphrey farm of 480 acres near Woodlawn, Kansas, raised cattle and crops. Joan attended a one-room school there until the eighth grade. She was a cheerleader at Sabitha High School. She also was an officer in her school's chapter of Future Homemakers of America. She graduated second in her class, a class of 48. Here is the caption under her yearbook picture. Keen sense, common sense, no room for nonsense. Joan then attended Wheaton College because her pastor was a graduate. Later on, she entered law school at Northwestern University. Her classmates there teased her about her slow, prairie speech. They also envied her lack of stress over exams. In law school, she met a boy named Michael. They worked summer jobs on behalf of the poor, disability benefits, evictions, food stamps. Joan and Michael were married in 1975. He wore a white suit. She wore daisies in her hair and a white Moroccan caftan. Joan and Michael then began to raise their own family of four daughters. Every morning he brewed coffee. He preheated her cup with boiling water, filled it with coffee, and carried it to the bed where together they could talk about the day to come. Joan's life had two paradigms, professional woman and devoted mother. She cooked dinner every night. She established a daycare center in the courthouse where she worked. She packed lunches for four daughters, making sure to use Tropicana orange juice to limit the girls' sugar intake. The newspaper quoted Joan as saying, I wanted my family to be a family that shared their food and the mom could cook like my mom could cook. Joan's temperament and industry brought her over some years to the federal bench. She became a judge in the U.S. District Court in Chicago. It was the culmination of a fine career, a position that had eluded her on other occasions. But after a few years, one of her rulings angered white supremacists. One of these was convicted of plotting to have her killed. They did not succeed. Yet two years later, Joan's husband Michael and her mother, both on crutches, were murdered. They were both shot in the head and chest with 22 caliber bullets. Holy Week every year brings us to the precipice of a most disturbing question. At some point, we grow up or wake up enough to ask the question that Joan's daughter Meg asked her that week. Mom, why is the world so evil? Holy Week, with its fleeting laud and honor, its temple conflict, its night of betrayal, its day of trial, its hour of tragedy, and its subsequent lasting silence, brings us right to this matter of evil. Why? Why, Mom? Why is the world so shot through with evil, with sin, death, the threat of meaninglessness? After 300 of his students died in a plane crash near Lockerbie, Scotland in 1988, 
Chancellor Melvin Eggers of Syracuse University brought the question via, via a newspaper interview to his religious leadership at Hendricks Chapel. I will never forget his interview, the pain of it, the grief in it, the troubled angst of it, which never left him over the few remaining years of his life. It broke his big heart. After 3,000 died on September 11, 2001, that next Friday, September 14, 2001, hundreds of people filled our sanctuaries without invitation or liturgical preparation. Here they were, truly hunting for the language and heart with which to assess the same question, what in the world is wrong with this world? After 300,000 were lost in December on the day after Christmas 2004, out of a numbed and fogged stupor, there gradually emerged a serious question, a question about bearing perspective and ultimately about faith. What kind of world is this? Who is the God who has breathed life into such a place? Mom, why is the world so evil? After the market collapsed in 2008 and graduates for the following year, years worked three jobs each while carrying student loans, the question, sometimes uttered but often silent behind the eyes and tears near here, and the more bitter for that, was the same. What is wrong with this world? And now, since the first U.S. death just a month ago, Coronavirus has caught us up again in the depth of the meaning of Holy Week. January 11th, the first death in China. February 5th, a cruise ship Diamond Princess quarantined in Japan. February 23rd, Italian cases go from 5 to 150. February 29th, the first U.S. death in Seattle barely a month ago. March 15th, the CDC warns against gatherings of more than 50. March 26, the United States officially became the country hardest hit by the pandemic with at least 81,321 confirmed infections and more than 1,000 deaths. March 30th, this week, 265 million Americans told to stay home. Today, by current count, 8,000 dead in America and 64,000 worldwide. And our question, the Holy Week one, what is wrong with this world? We have been here before. The same reckoning can arrive in quieter times in a far more quotidian fashion. You alone, you now in social distance, you with some quiet on your hands might ponder the daily sense of tragedy. Tomorrow you might wake up to the list of smaller showers of estrangement that meet us every day, long before we are ever drenched in the great thunderstorm of tragic pandemic. Premature resignation, partial self-awareness, indirect criticism, cold honesty, inflated responsibility, excessive enjoyment, needless worry, wasted time, careless haste, misguided loyalty, postponed grief, avoided maturation, partial planning, unconscious entitlement, pointless earning, self-serving posture, thankless reception, 
You meet them every single day. In our time, people of conscience are truly alive, now suddenly and earnestly alive to this question, which is again the whole content of Holy Week. It is a question that in the main is a matter of grief, trouble, and loss, which is of course the whole content of the church's experience and memory of Holy Week. It is a matter of deep abiding grief to face the gone wrongness in life. And while we have tried in our churches to feed the hunger in this question, to slake the thirst in this question, to provide compelling responses to this question, to a great degree across the land, we have failed. And failure is the whole content of Holy Week. It is a grief to this preacher that our pulpits nationwide have thus far failed to meet the grief and loss and especially fear that pervade our time like a mist in London along Aldersgate Street, like an invisible unholy ghost just on the edge of our awareness, like a dawn that just will not come. We have not been able robustly and preparedly and piercingly to remember to call to mind our biblical, Christian, tragic sense of life when most we have needed it. To hear Job on the ash heap, what is my crime? And second Isaiah, a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. And Jeremiah's lamentations. And the tears of David, all flesh is grass. Or to evoke Ecclesiastes, all rivers run to the sea. The race is not always to the swift, but time and chance happen to them all. And the affliction of Paul, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And truest of all, Jesus himself, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me and then now today hear the gospel, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, you cannot read all of Barbara Brown Taylor on Job the night of 9-11. It has to be read ahead. You cannot do all of a seminary course on Jeremiah the night after tsunami. It has to be read ahead. You cannot absorb all that Paul says in Galatians the afternoon of Lockerbie. It has to be read earlier. In wrestling, we used to make weight trying to lose five pounds in two hours by jogging in sweatsuits through the school showers. Bodily life, Christian life, does not easily allow such last-minute maneuvers. So this morning, we try again as we enter Holy Week. For Jesus meets us today along this very road of tragedy in life, of evil, grief, loss, estrangement, and failure. His church lives still as a community that knows in its bones how to face evil with honesty, grief with grace, failure with faith, and death with dignity. H. Richard Niebuhr warned his generation to suspect the false sense that somehow a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Oddly, it is the starkness of the cross, the coarseness of Jesus' death, the tremendous sense of loss and failure and grief of Holy Week that is your best gift in and to 
a pandemicized, frightened world. His cross truly names the tragedy of evil. His cross permanently unfolds that tragedy in the larger goodness in life and the lasting goodness in God. His cross radiates a thin measure of hope that there is life beyond brokenness, even beyond virulence, that there is life beyond coronavirus. Remember your baptism and your confirmation. The world is largely good, good, not perfect. The good handiwork and a mysterious divine goodness that passes all understanding and endures forever. Yet the world is just not right, but somehow off track, wrong-headed, with something loose rattling around inside it. The shadow of sin, the specter of evil, the sorrow of death. Older theologians wrote of the fallenness of creation. We have to face both and to pray for deliverance from the latter to the former. So we teach our children to say, deliver us from evil. Robert McAfee Brown, so memorably, how I miss his voice, said, Friends, this is God's world, but it is a crummy world, and we have to live with both realities. To Meg's question, why, I have no full final answer for you. But the good news is that you have an answer for me, and you are living that answer. And if you think I do not see it, you are mistaken. And if you think I do not appreciate or admire it, you are mistaken. And if you think I do not respect it, you are mistaken. You live your answer by choosing the cruciform path of faith. And so, you meet evil with honesty, grief with grace, failure with faith, and death with dignity. You carry yourselves in belief. You remember that it is not the passion of Christ that defines the person of Christ, but the person who defines the passion. You remember that it is not the suffering that bears the meaning, but the meaning that bears the suffering. That it is not the cross that carries the love, but the love that carries the cross. That it is not crucifixion that encompasses salvation, but salvation that encompasses even the tragedy of crucifixion and that it is not the long sentence of Holy Week with all its phrases, dependent clauses, and semicolons that completes the gospel, but it is the punctuation to come in seven days, the last mark of the week to come in 168 hours, whether it be the exclamation point of Peter, the full stop period of Paul, or the question mark of Mary, Easter defines Holy Week and not the other way around. Oh, we, we want to be clear now. The resurrection follows, but not, does not replace the cross for sure. The resurrection follows, but does not replace the cross for sure. Still, it is also true that the cross precedes, but does not overshadow the resurrection. It is life that has the last word, that is why Miguel de Unamuno called his philosophy del sentimiento trágico de la vida, the tragic sense of life. Life has the last word.
Maybe that is why Joan Howard, her married name, Joan Howard Lefkow, she, like Dorothy Gale of the Kansas farm, she, like Billy Graham of Wheaton College, she, like Ernest Fremont Tittle of Northwestern University, she, like your own mother in kitchen and coffee and packed lunch, answered her daughter's question, Sursum Corda, in faithful witness, hear the gospel to tragedy and goodness and hope. I confess that I read her statement some years ago, weeping in the middle of an utterly boring Nashville denominational board meeting, and was for several moments unsure of where I was or whether these few sentences were read from the printed page as human comments or were resounding in the mind and heart as divine utterance. Which is this voice, human or divine? You be the judge. Joan says to her daughter, as the gospel this day says to us, honey, I am so sad. It is a human tragedy. Honey, most people are good. Most people would not think of doing this. Remember the sermon years ago at the Episcopal Church in Evison, where the girls sang in the choir and I made sandwiches for the homeless once a month. The priest said, some things are just broken. They're broken, just broken. They're broken. And you go on from there. Don't think you can repair them, but get up and go on from there. But whoever did this to my husband, and my mother, I want to look them in the eye and say, how could you, how could you do that to me and my family? Amen. Beloved, we now come to a time of prayer and we place ourselves in a position of petition, whether standing or sitting or kneeling. As we sing together our familiar call to prayer, lead me, Lord. God, we bow in meditation and in quiet. In prayer, we remember the words of the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, who wrote, 
God, collect our tears, tears of sadness, tears of joy, tears of anxiety, nervous tears, tears that don't know why they run like rivers down the face. Gracious God, collect our tears in your bottle and pour them back on us as life-giving water. In prayer, we remember the voice of the Reverend Joseph Lowry, now of blessed memory. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far along the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray, lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee, lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee, shadowed beneath thy hand. May we forever stand, true to thee, our God, true to our native land. In prayer and in meditation, we call to mind the words of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, dear and good friends all, we greet you from the empty nave of Marsh Chapel this Lord's Day. Amid the changes, challenges, and uncertainties of our current moment, please be mindful that I and the entire chapel staff have you in prayer. We are with you, we are for you, and we carry a daily pastoral embrace of you. If you have particular needs, especially in this season related to personal challenges like anxiety and depression, you may call me personally at 617-358-3394 and I will respond as able. 
Beloved, we greet you this Palm Sunday as we hope to greet you again in virtual worship on Easter next Sunday. Next Sunday, our current plan is to offer music and liturgy which will be rebroadcast from Easter 2017, but with the greeting and sermon live from Holy Week 2020. A virtual service still with an empty nave come Easter. We invite you now to a moment of virtual offering. Pause to think how you may act in love and charity to your neighbor this coming week. And we warmly invite you to support the ministry of Marsh Chapel, a heart in the heart of the city, and a service, this service, in the service of the city. My thanks to Justin, Sarah, and Eddie for their presence and support in worship today. Thank you. 
For the work before us, the life within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us, we give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ. Amen.
May the fruit of the Spirit dwell richly in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, generosity, self-control. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.